0: I'm Carrie Miller, and I have a fun interview coming up this Friday at 11 with Heather Haverleski about the divine tedium of a long marriage Novelist Tyere Jones was interested in marriage, too But she wondered what would happen to a young marriage when catastrophe struck I've recommended her novel American marriage to many many friends and if you missed it when it was published in 2018 put it on your reading list And listen to my interview with Jones right here. I think you'll find a lot to think about. I'm Carrie Miller, and this is the Thread Book Hour. Conflict is the catalyst that propels good literature and transforms interesting characters. But writer Tyari Jones embedded so much conflict in her novel that it threatened to derail the book in a time when she was really worried about where her
1: career as a novelist was headed. I was in a bad place. I had written two novels. I thought they had done well enough. I had won a couple of small awards, and I felt, you know, I felt satisfied. I felt I had connected with the readership, and the publisher conglomerated or what have you. Anyway, they dropped me, and I was without a publisher, and I was really, really sad. Um, but the only reason I kept working and writing is because I teach, and I could not set that example for my students, that you let a publishing disappointment stop you from being an artist. Well, I read at the Key West Literary Seminars and a woman said to me, I hear that you've been, um, dropped from your publisher. I hear, you know, you're having a hard time. Maybe I can help you. And I didn't think anything of it because people say really weird things out in public, really weird things. (laughs) But she put my hand in the hand of Algonquin's publisher in chief and they took me on. But the woman, the publisher, as I was trying to leave, said, Um, you know, how do you know Judy? And I said, I don't know anyone named Judy. And she says, no, 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 Judy Bloom, who just introduced us. And it was like my childhood had come to rescue me. Wow. So I felt like I had been divinely connected with Algonquin books. And they looked at the book and they said, you know, we think that we can help build you as, and not only, not just as a writer, but as an author, which I think are two different things. And so, we've been i've been close with my publishing team ever since like i see them socially not just as a work thing what's the difference between being a writer and an author a writer is a thing i do in my pajamas with my typewriter <laughs> you know nobody can help me with that that's just me and the coffee and the smith corona But being an author is about, you know, positioning the work, getting it in the right people's hands, you know, stuff like that.
0: So the author is the professional and, in some ways, audience-facing part of your life, and the writer is the interior, personal part of your life?
1: Yes, it's the endless rewriting. It's the figuring out what is the question you're trying to ask yourself. All of that. The writing part, no one can help you. No one can help you.
0: You know, that moment when you found out that your publisher your original publisher was dropping you would be i'd say a moment of reckoning f- for many writers like am i meant to keep doing this why why am i going to keep
1: doing this what what happened i with mean that? i was I was devastated because I, I I never had a fantasy of being famous. I just wanted to be able to be a writer and do my work and publish, but I didn't. I never thought that I was going to be the one. So I felt that I had made. I just I felt like everything I had been taught growing up was revealed to be not true. You know, I I always thought if you do your best work and be an honest artist, and you'll be fine. You may not be famous. You may not be rich, but you'll be fine. And the really, the only reason I kept on was I just could not be – I could not continue to face my students if I did not continue to write. What would you have said – I mean, have you ever talked
0: about this openly
1: with your students? What, what would you have said to them about this? Well, I know I talk to my students very candidly because it's important. If they're going to join a profession, they should know some things about it. And I just, what I tell my students about writing is that you write the story because the story needs to be written. I tell them all the time, writing and publishing are two different creatures. Like a lot of them, as they get ready to graduate, they want me to give them all these helpful hints about publishing, but I don't think that'll help them write their first book. So I give them like a coupon. I'd say, this is a coupon. It's evergreen. When you get ready to publish your first book, when you finished it, You can call me no matter how many years later, and we'll talk about the business. But right now, when you're in my class, when you're my advisee, we're going to talk about the writing.
0: I'm curious about what you tell your students about conflict, because you indicate in the acknowledgments of the new novel, An American Marriage, that you were in a thicket of conflict, and it sounds like there were points where you really couldn't see your way out. Do I, Am I interpreting that right?
1: I thought that I had created a conflict for my characters that I thought I had tied them in a knot I couldn't untie. Because, you know, the the resolution of a novel is when you untie the knot, you release all that tension. And for a long time, I couldn't work it out. I mean, we have Roy, who's been wrongfully incarcerated. All he wants is his wife back. We have his wife who loved him, but she just, everyone isn't really cut out to be a devoted wife of a prisoner. Then we have her lover who's known her since they were both infants. Like everyone had a legitimate desire. Everyone wants to do the right thing. Everyone, I felt like the three of them, it's a love triangle. Everyone can't win. And I thought I had written myself into a corner. It's a true love
0: triangle, Unique in that I wanted everyone to win. For me, there was no me clear. Th- there was no clear um, the righteous thing is for this to happen. And you felt that way too as you were writing it?
1: You know, there's a moment when Roy and Celestial are writing their letters in prison and she's indicating that she this isn't working for her. And he says, but I'm innocent. And she writes back. I'm innocent too. And that I think really is at the heart of this novel. These are three innocent people. Like none of them is responsible for what has happened, yet they they're in a situation where they have to do what's right and it's not clear. I was I was a mess. I was just I care I love my characters and I felt so torn as to how to be the best you know, Creator to them, like what, but I had to be I feel like when you write a novel, you have to really be honest as to what the characters would do, not try to insert yourself as to what the characters should do i'm
0: I'm really interested in what it's like day to day when you're a mess and you're trying to figure this out i mean are you are you going about your daily chores or whatever your life? And somewhere in the back of your mind, your mind is trying to work this out to to release that tension as you were talking about figure
1: it out you just every day I would write another scene, I would have the character- i would have the characters interact, hoping they would reveal something to me that would help me help them. But I mean at one point, this isn't even writing. I started taking salsa lessons because I am not the greatest dancer and Taking salsa lessons caused me to be able to release, stop thinking about the novel because I really had to pay attention to what my feet were doing before I, you know, step on someone's foot. And that was the only thing I could do that would allow me to quiet my mind. Wow. So
0: for that hour of the day that you were taking salsa lessons, you didn't have to be consumed
1: with how to figure this out. Right. I couldn't because I was trying to do like meditating. It's not for everybody. I couldn't clear my mind. So how do you
0: calibrate the conflict? I mean, I really love your description of it's a knot and you're resolving it by untying it and you're releasing the tension that was inherent in the knot. But how are you making sure that you get the amount of
1: tension right? I can just I can just tell from kind of taking my own temperature. I I like to feel in the writing the same way I like to feel in the reading, which is kind of unsure what's going to happen next, but and details that are surprising but not stupid. You know, like, oh, that was surprising but believable, I guess is what I would say. And I just, I'm like a reader and a writer at the same time. Um, that That's an interesting
0: duality. I, I, you know, when I talk to writers about this, you will hear them talk about reading the book out loud. You know, they've completed three chapters or so, and then they sit down to read it out loud. That sounds like a separate
1: thing from what you are describing to me. Is it? Right. I mean, I do that too. I do read it aloud, but when I am writing it, it's very strange. I, I feel like as I am creating the scene, I am. I am the one I am the one doing it but at the same time I feel almost like I'm observing myself do it it's I don't want to make it sound like I just write like automatic writing like a ghost whispers in my ear what the story is because I am making decisions as I go but I often surprise myself with my own mind see I think that's what's um
0: misinterpreted a lot I always think back to this Interview that I did with Edna O'Brien, very experienced writer, right, in her sixties and seventies now. And when she talked about being in in kind of a different space mentally when she wrote, it sounded like I go into a trance and it comes out of my fingers and I'm not even really but but
1: I know that's not what she was saying and it's not what you're saying. You know what it's kind of like? Lying. Have you ever been in a lie? <laughs> Like you're lying for some reason. Let's say it's something fairly innocent. Like Let's say you're lying to someone as to why you did not attend their party. Right. The real reason you didn't attend their party is that you didn't want to and you were at home in your pajamas watching Netflix. (laughs) But you say to them, oh, you know, Mary, I didn't go to your party because I had to go help my mother with her cabinets. I had to reorganize them because my father had painted them blue. Like you just find yourself embellishing. (laughs) You didn't plan it. And that's how it feels like you're just kind of making it up. And yes, you are the one telling that lie, but you don't know the end of that lie until you finally shut up and listen to what listen to yourself as to what you've said.
0: This is what I love about fiction. We are all in on the lie willingly, and we're and we're taking richness out of the fact that we're all in on the lie. Think about that
1: it is it mean and just like a real lie when you're lying to your friend as to why you didn't go to her party the lie has to be kind of based in truth that's what <laughs> makes it believable right. it has to sounds like something that you would really do and you you want it to be kind of entertaining i feel like we all know how to tell stories and tell lies it's all kind of the same thing but you don't plan it when it's good you don't really plan it it just feels kind of spontaneous do you feel like you –
0: we talked about the conflict and, and how hard this was for you to work it out. Do you feel like in some ways experienced with – is it three other novels or two other novels under your belt? Three other novels. Three other novels, okay. Do you feel like you came to a moment as a writer where you where you wanted to set yourself an exceptional kind of problem and task
1: and story? to create? I feel like with every book, because my students always say, oh, is is does it get easier? And I always say, if it gets easier, you're not challenging yourself. Every book, you should set the bar higher, higher, higher. So the fourth book is as difficult as the f- first book. I think actually the first book might be the easiest because you don't have any idea what you've gotten yourself into. So you're kind of innocent. But each one should be harder, 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 because you want to grow. You want to, you want to expand your own mind. Does that mean, though, that you
0: think to yourself, let's see what I'm made of? It's book number four. Let's
1: really see if I what I can do. You don't realize you've done this to yourself To you're already doing it to yourself, I think. <laughs> I thought, oh, this will be interesting. I'll do this. And then about a couple years in, I kind of felt like, what have I done? <laughs> I mean, there was one point when I thought I couldn't find the other side of this book, and I was looking for other professions. I was looking like looking online to see if I could become a doula. Don't ask oh me why. Oh my gosh, just, really? Because if I couldn't finish my book, I didn't feel that I could face my students. I just feel like I could not teach writing if I had given up on being a writer. And so cuz I was stranded 50 pages from the end, stranded. I couldn't figure it out. And that was a really horrible place. I even bought like a gift for my agent. Um, I sent her. I normally send my agent like a keychain for her birthday, right? But this year, I sent her a piece of jewelry because I really felt like I was saying to her, "Thank you for all your years of taking care of me," and goodbye. But then I had even written a note to that effect, but I didn't put it in the box. So I guess I wasn't quite ready. But I just thought I had bitten off more than I could chew. Who
0: did you talk to about this
1: in those hardest moments? I t- You know, I had to stop talking to people because if you're a writer and you say, I don't know if I can do it, everyone's like, sure you can. Oh, you're just being dramatic. And I just felt like no one could hear me because everyone had so much faith. And then finally, I spoke to my mentor from college who lives in Atlanta. Her name is Pearl Clegg. And I said to her, I think I might be done. And she said, maybe you are. You've done good books. You're proud of the work you've done. You don't have to do another book. And just her letting me go, like it wasn't, she wasn't disappointing at me. She wasn't telling me, you're in no position to know what you feel. You're just having a hard time. When she just said to me, maybe, but I'm proud of you for what you've done, that just lifted such a weight. And so for another six months, I didn't do anything. And then I figured out the end of the novel. And then I wrote it. I wrote those last 50 pages in like three days. It's really...
0: You know extraordinary to have come through the novel and realize you'd created all of this beautiful language and this wonderful conflict and these characters that we really care about, and that we might that that, that it, I just it just might have all ended fifty pages from the end i I thought when you were talking about not being able to figure it out, you were halfway through I didn't realize you were so close to the end.
1: Yes. I mean, I had gotten all three of those people in that front, front yard and I didn't know what to do with them. I felt like, okay, now what? We have Celestial, you know, we have Roy. He's journeyed so far. He's home from prison. He's like, honey, I'm home. She, and she's kind of feeling like, um, yeah, you are. Now what? And then we have Andre saying, what about me? And I just couldn't figure it out until I could.
0: Yeah. And do you know why you could? ultimately have you
1: have you figured that I out i realize yeah i was asking myself the wrong question um before i thought that for roy what he had lost i was i i was taking roy's word for it about what he had lost roy feels like prison has taken from me my status has taken my job my wife my home but i realized that no roy prison has taken from you the ability to empathize because you feel like Oh, I've been, I've suffered so much. I don't have the bandwidth to, to take care of others. I am so damaged. All my energy must be used to take care of myself. And that's what he lost. So the book is able to end when Roy realizes that his humanity is his empathy and that if you lose your empathy, you've lost everything. But if you retain your empathy, nothing can be taken away from you. And he realized it, I realized it, we finished the book, me and Roy are on good terms, me and Celestial are on good terms, me and Andre are on good terms. I feel like I've done right by all three of my people.
0: I'm Carrie Miller, and you're listening to the Thread Book Hour. It's an interview with Tayari Jones, author of An American Marriage. I read something where you were talking about writing as a way to confront your fears, and as you've mentioned one of the one of the characters has been incarcerated for something that he didn't do is false identification in the criminal justice system something that you've given a fair amount of thought to
1: um yeah, I mean the thing about whats thing is important to me with Roy is that I think of him as an I don't think of him as an innocent person who's incarcerated. I think of him as an incarcerated person who is innocent. And what is Um, the difference? The difference is I feel that the tragedy of what happens to him isn't mostly that he's innocent. I think it's the fact that he is incarcerated at all. I mean, there's so many people who are in prison for little things. You know, like there's so many people in prison for drug offenses. You know, there are people in prison on marijuana charges. And come on, I mean... We would all be in prison if everyone who (laughs) had a little experience with the cannabis was incarcerated. You know what I mean? So it's the way that this, like Louisiana has more people incarcerated than some countries. So I didn't want to lean too much in my mind on his innocence as what makes this a tragic story.
0: Okay, so the false identification is not so much of the catalyst for you writing out your fears. Is that right?
1: My big, yeah, the the fear, honestly, that I had in working on this story wasn't even the fear that Roy has. It's more celestial, and this idea that Celestial celestial is a woman. She's like me. She's an artist. She considers herself to be an independent person, a free thinker, and because of this tragedy, that happens to Roy, there's so much pressure on her to be as faithful as Penelope in the Odyssey. You know, she's a Celestial is a modern woman and everybody wants to party like it's 800 BC, you know, for her. And this idea that in light of the cultural challenges of being a black American woman, that this idea of being an artist, of being free, of being independent isn't available to you because you are so needed at home to be a faithful woman to your husband, to your brother, to your father, that this kind of new womanhood is a luxury you cannot afford. That is the fear that I was writing to. Um, do you think there's something
0: unique about the idea of the new womanhood in the New South? I mean, this... this book and i assume your other novels are firmly rooted in the idea of the new south where does the, where does the perception of the new woman fit into the new south
1: well you know southern literature loves its plucky heroines right yeah. scout even Scarlett O'Hara, right. they love them, but they and and even we could go so far as to look at Seeley and Shug as icons of Southern womanhood. So I do think that is part of that tradition, but I do think that one thing that I'm doing in this novel that I'm re- I'm really looking at the cost of being independent, the cost. I mean, if celestial doesn't care for Roy, you know, doesn't take care of him, doesn't there's a cost to that. Roy needs her. Like every time you choose yourself, someone else is not getting what you would have given them. It they're consequences. And that is I don't know if that's a southern thing, but it's definitely, I feel like, complicating that plucky heroine.
0: Um I do too. I I mean I was thinking that you are combining This idea of of the New South, because some of the book is set in Atlanta, but it's also set in rural areas of the South. And I see a clash of expectation around what it means to be a woman in the South,
1: depending on where you are. Does Does that make sense? I really think the clash is depending on what you're going through. When all is well for Roy, he loves her. He thinks of her as a shooting star woman. He loves this um, independent woman he's got, this woman he can't control, this woman he can't tame. He loves it until he's in prison, and then he's kind of wanting something a little more Homeric. So this is almost, like I said, it's almost like being an independent woman is situational. It's a luxury and is that fair? You know, like is is it right that celestial as a black woman is not allowed the freedom that her white peers would have? Like, you know, cuz Roy says to her, "I'm innocent." And she says back, "I'm innocent too." And why do you feel like And her, that's the question. Why why wouldn't her hmm. white
0: peers have?
1: Because their husbands aren't in prison. Like, you know, when you read something by, I just love Antonia Nelson, and I was reading Antonia Nelson's story, and the wife, the husband is not attracted to the wife anymore because, you know, they're reaching middle age, and it seems like a tragedy. You're just like, why is life so cruel? Why is he not attracted to her? And you feel so bad. And I said, well, why is it that this woman not feeling attractive feels like the end of the world in the story. And it's because her husband is fine. So you don't really care how he feels about anything hmm. because he's not, for example, wrongfully incarcerated. He's going to work. Or like when you read novels about women who um, are stay-at-home wives and mothers and they're bored and they want to go be free, you feel like, <laughs> yes, girl, be free. But it's different for Celestial to say, I want to be free because of Roy's incarceration. And that was, that is like one of the ongoing, like mind challenges of my life ever since I was a little girl. What the idea that, well, this idea that there is this challenge of masculinity that is the center of the conversations. Um, I mentioned my first book about growing up in Atlanta during the Atlanta child murders. Well, those 32 children that were killed were almost all boys. And there was a sense even then, I was eight years old, that the boys are under siege, that the boys are in danger, and we all need to get together to save them. And, you know, in the 80s, there was a huge movement, used to be called SOS. I think there was a book by the same title, Saving Our Sons. So I have always, as a girl, grown up with that cloud, this idea that, the safety and care of men is our primary focus as a people. So what yeah, what does that mean for for girls and for women? It's, you know, it's it means that questions of feminism were seen as diverting resources from the house that's on fire. Like the situation with men is like the house is on fire. There's no time for anything else. And and it also Um, involves a certain amount of guilt, like Celestial feels when she doesn't, um, dedicate herself entirely to making life easier for Roy when her own art career is blooming. You know, she, her dream is calling her and it feels to Roy like every good thing that happens to her is taking away from him. Although, even if Celestial were to abandon her dreams in order to be a more devoted wife, That would not get Roy out of prison. It's almost like she's needed to be a symbolic altar to his suffering.
0: I was wondering if you yourself are raising children because of the the themes of criminal justice that are running through this and some of what you've just
1: said about what's, what's happening to boys and men. I always say I don't have any children, but I was a child myself for years,
0: years. I mean, it, it reminded me of African-American parents who have talked really openly about what it means to raise a black boy in this country. I, I just sense that you've given some thought to that.
1: I mean, that question is just such an ingrained part of black culture that you don't have to have kids to know that this is the way that we think about Kids. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a part of culture. It's in the water, this conversation, this thinking. And I, and like I said, I used to be a child, so I was aware, even when I was a child, that this was the understanding of what a black childhood is. It's about looking after, um, our sons. And I mean, I even struggle with it as a professor. I teach at Rutgers University, and we're a majority minority campus. And if I have a class, I'll have, say, 18 young women, most of whom are black, and I'll have four boys who are black, and I'll have a few other people. But I have to stop myself from spending too much energy on the boys because, like— it's not fair to everyone else. It, it makes the girls feel like their hard work is invisible. Like for me to look at a girl who makes an A and say, good for you. I'm proud of you. But a boy who makes an A, oh my goodness, look at this. This is, we're defying odds here and making it feel like his A is more of an A than her A. Yeah. That's a really, that, that, that
0: sense of I can, I can help rescue. Whether those boys really need rescuing, right? But this is somewhat ingrained in in your perception of, of masculinity.
1: And the bar that the girls have to reach in order to get attention. I mean, they have to levitate to get attention. And that's not fair. So I work, I struggle with this. So even though I'm not their mother when I'm teaching undergraduates, in a way I am. And I have to really, really focus on not doing that to those kids. Uh, I want
0: to talk a bit about what you're saying about memory and marriage, but I, I wonder if you brought your book with you today. Do you have it? I did. Oh. I have it right, right. here. Good. I
1: always have it with me.
0: How refreshing. <laughs> I'm always amazed at the number <laughs> of writers who travel around without their books. Why? Um, I thought if you would read, let's see, I, I kind of made a mark it, even while she wore his ring, she wasn't his wife. She was merely a married woman. W- could Would you read to that?
1: Sure. Great. This is what it must be like to be married to a widow. You give her bandages for her wounds. You offer comfort when memories sneak up on her and she cries for what looks like no reason. When she reminisces about the past, you don't remind her of the things she has chosen not to recollect, all the while telling yourself that it's unreasonable to be jealous of a dead man. But what can I do other than what I've done? I've known Celestial Davenport all my life, and I've loved her for at least that long. This truth is as natural and unvarnished as old Hickey, the centuries-old tree that grows between our two houses. My affection for her is etched onto my body like the Milky Way birthmark scoring my shoulder blades. On the day we got the news, I was aware that she didn't belong to me. I don't mean that on paper at least she was another man's wife, If you knew her, you would know that she never belonged to him either. I'm not sure if she even realized it herself, but she's the kind of woman who will never belong to anyone. This is the truth that you have to lean in close to see. Picture a $20 bill. You think it's green, but when you get close up, you find out that it's beige linen with dark green ink. Now consider Celestial. Even while she wore his ring, she wasn't his wife. She was merely a married woman.
0: Tayari Jones, reading from her newest novel, An American Marriage. This is the Thread Book Hour, and I'm Carrie Miller. What does it mean that she doesn't even realize herself that she's the kind of woman
1: who will never belong to anyone? I think that Celestial is busy being herself, not thinking about what it means to be herself. She makes the decisions that works for her, and she she wants what she wants. But I don't think that she had spent too much time theorizing about marriage. I think that Roy's incarceration caused her to have to consider things she had never considered, which is to what extent have you really joined your life with his?
0: Mm-hmm. And maybe she never will fully join her life with... Andre or whoever ends up in her life. Is that is that right?
1: I think that she will, I think that as far as joining her life, I think she will always understand herself to be sharing her life with the person that she's with. But I don't think that she will ever consider them to have a single life that they're both living in. I think she's a Venn diagram kind of girl. That's what I'll say (laughs) in her relationships.
0: There's a point where she says memory is a queer creature, an eccentric curator. And I really love the way you delve back into, I mean, this is a fairly new and short marriage before he's incarcerated, but you're delving back into that thing that every committed couple Does, right? You compare the way you remember it and what it means that you remember um, what rites of passage in the relationship or special moments differently.
1: I mean, what is – is it Roy that says nostalgia is a hell of a drug? Yeah, (laughs) I think it is. Yes. And they each remember – everyone wants to remember themselves heroically, right? Like we all want to – and we remember love as – Loving and time, I feel like you you curate your memories to suit your current conclusion about the relationship <laughs> and And maybe that changes, right, over the course of the relationship. I mean, it does, and even even as they one of my favorite parts in the book is when Celestial is in her store, you know, she has this doll store, she makes dolls, and she tells the whole story to a guy who who is in there to buy something, and he says. I understand about the prison thing but it's the time time is what can kill a relationship you know and I think that's also true like memory you decide what is the the real factor you know it's the incarceration it's the time apart it's the humiliation of coming to visit him and then there's some stranger who says and also it's been 5 years right And that's hard for any relationship, right? Acknowledge that. Yes. He says that his marriage was shot after six months. He's like, (laughs) I was gone six months. And when I got back, it was shot. So then there's that, too. Like, because of Roy's symbolic challenge, everything feels so meaningful. Everything. Are you a good cook? Food shows up as a pretty important
0: part of the novel.
1: I am a good cook, but I have the most fun writing about people who can't. I love writing about the men in this novel who can't cook.
0: (laughs) Why? Because their appreciation is that much more intense of good cooking? Well,
1: also... well. Yes, it was a pleasure to write the scenes when Roy, you know, has almost a biblical banquet when he comes home from prison, but also his father who has learned how to cook, his father in his widowhood who's learned how to cook one thing, (laughs) salmon croquettes, and there's a recipe on the back of the can, and he acts like he's the first person to ever notice that they have recipes he doesn't call them recipes. He says instructions. He says, "You know a lot of cans, they have instructions on the back telling you how to fix <laughs> it." Did you know it. that? Right. Yeah, so I had so much I had so much fun with that as well. I had, I had fun with this book. I feel when I talk about it that people would never imagine how much humor is in the book. Right. Right. But I feel like and that's the thing with this whole incarceration piece is that I mean, I think that when you write characters fully, you write their full experience. And even in prison, funny things happen. And it's not laughing to keep from crying. I think that sometimes you just laugh because it's funny. And I think it's important to to talk about the full range of human experience that happens under any circumstances. Uh, Can I ask who taught you to be such a good cook? Was it your mother or who? You know, my mother is an excellent cook, but she never taught me to cook. I don't know what that's all about. I learned how to cook the way I learned how to do everything. YouTube. I learned how to swim (laughs) on YouTube. That's not what I thought you were going to say. I learned to swim on YouTube. You can learn how to do anything on YouTube. (laughs) What's the weirdest thing you've, swimming, that you've
0: learned to do from YouTube?
1: (laughs) Yeah, swimming. I learned to swim on YouTube. You can learn to swim. They have swimming lessons. So you watch the lesson and you practice it at home, like, Just in your living room, you do your arms. You lay down, you do your legs. Then you go to the pool and you do that thing. Seriously, (laughs) yes, it works. Wow, there was no one around. You
0: was there no one around to
1: teach you how to swim, or this is your preferred method? Actually, maybe that's what you're saying. I didn't learn as a child. I think it's because I was a girl. I think it was too much trouble with my hair, and I I wasn't that – I was afraid, and and my mother let it go. I took ballet lessons. I wasn't good at it, and I never have the need to do a pirouette ever, but I did need to learn to swim, and I was embarrassed that I couldn't swim. So many people swim so well, and so I just went to YouTube and typed, how to swim, and then I took several (laughs) lessons, and I can swim now. (laughs) Wow. Impressive.
0: I don't know that I've ever learned to do anything well from YouTube. So you obviously... It can be done. I I believe it. Um, Would you describe your writing space to me? Because you've spent some anguished and it sounds like fun times in it. I'm just interested. Put me in that space. What's it look like?
1: It is a, a... Well, when I moved into the apartment, I had a choice to make the best room, the writing room or the bedroom, you know, with the most light. And I decided to Make it the writing room. And I have a, my desk is glass. And I have a, I have 10 manual typewriters and I use different ones. They all have names. The best one is the one that's a deep purple. Her name is Aubergine, but we call her Jeannie. We as in me. Her name is Jeannie and she's from the 30s, which was an excellent time for typewriters. And I, it sits on my desk. I clean the desk. It's glass. So I clean it with Windex. I clean it every night. Because I like to wake up to a prepared space. If the space is already prepared, I am so much more likely to follow through with my work. And there's an espresso machine in the room. And I have a fur blanket that I put on my lap. And I have plants. I like my plants. They're growing. I like something growing. Makes me feel optimistic about the day. And there's also a little um futon, so I can dramatically... I wish I had a fainting couch, but I don't have one, <laughs> so I use the futon. And that's what I do. Ten
0: typewriters. I, I had read that you wrote on a typewriter, but ten typewriters, why so many?
1: They're so... Well, now they have become more expensive because other people are collecting them. But I just thought they were just so lovely. And I use all of them except for the 1919 one, I don't use it that much because they were still working out the kinks of typewriters in 1919. So it's it's very attractive, but it's not great to use. But I just switch them out. They all have different personalities. And it just cheers me to use the blue one or to use the shiny black one. These little things, these little, it also adds an element of play. Writing for me is my happy place. I enjoy it. And I just do things to... Continue with that pleasure. I came to writing from pleasure. As as a child, I loved to read and I would write little books and staple them. I'm not one of those writers who say, "Oh, I never saw myself in a book, so I thought I had to write one." I didn't have that kind of pressure on me as a young writer. I was born in 1970, and I grew up reading lots of books um, in which my own experience was reflected. So I came to writing just from pleasure.
0: This has been a true pleasure for me. Thank you so much. I, I just love the novel. It's 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 um thrilling to be able to spend an hour with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.